Good morning again. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the beginning. We're going to be in Genesis 1 today. Uh, Before we dive into our Luke series for the next few months, we're going to follow the calendar today and um, next Sunday as well. Uh, This is for many churches this month is pro-life month or sanctity of human life month. A lot of churches focus on it next week, but next week is also Martin Luther King weekend. So we're going to focus on what uh, valuing life looks like when it comes to the issue of ethnic diversity next week. And this week, we're going to focus more on the valuing of human life when we think about the unborn and life in the womb. Uh, I want to start off with Genesis 1, 27, because that's the foundation of our theology that we should value life because of the way that God values life. Um, And I want to start by giving you a little bit of introduction of how I grew up, because this helps me have a a way to think about this topic. Uh, My mom was an art teacher growing up. Um, So if you know me very well, you know that one of my core values is creativity, right? So um, so if I'm kind of annoying or weird or frustrating to you, you can blame my mom for that. She's an art teacher. Um, The second value, though, was she always taught us never to color on someone else's picture, Right? You ever heard? Maybe you learned that in kindergarten as well. Someone else is working on their work of art. You don't grab it and take over and color on it, right? That's theirs. It's not yours. And the Bible teaches that, that we are God's works of art, and we're not supposed to mess with that. that. There should be a dignity and an honor and a respect, a valuing of human life that we all have across the board. Um, so we'll start with Genesis 1. We'll just read Genesis one twenty seven. Um, I'll I'll pray for us, and then we're going to really look at a lot of different verses together. Um, But pray for me. I I don't like issues that are divisive, so pray that I'd be clear um, as we work through the text today. But let's read Genesis 1.27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The idea is that God made humanity to reflect his image. There's something special about us above and beyond the other animals. We're special creatures made to picture God. We're God's works of art. I'll read it one more time. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look at this in more detail. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that we can approach difficult subjects knowing that you care for us. So there's a a tenderness there, and there's a grace there that puts us at ease even as we're nervous to discuss things that many people fight over and many people divide over. So we pray for your spirit to meet us here, that we would listen to your word, that we would value life the way that you value us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that I really had a lot of heartache over this week, uh, just a lot of worry and anxiety over was uh, for those of you that have had an abortion or have been involved in an abortion with someone you love, that this would um, stir up a lot of grief and a lot of pain. And so I just want you to know that I've been praying for you this week, that my heart is not to add uh, shame upon shame or add grief upon grief or uh, to stir up any pain that's already there, that's already difficult to deal with. So I've been praying for you all week. Uh, I've had the personal honor of being involved in three different abortion recovery retreats that Hope Pregnancy Center has put on. They, they put on several each year. I've only been a part of three of them. Um, getting to hear women's stories and grieve with them uh, as I recognize how in their own life um, 
they were led to a place of not valuing the life in their own womb, uh, oftentimes because their lives were not valued before that. Um, So I recognize that there's a whole spectrum of hurt out here, and just want you to know that my prayers are with you, and that my theology is that every single one of us here are sinners. So kind of like, no matter what I talk about week to week, it's going to dredge up some difficulty for us. We all come in as sinners that need forgiveness before a holy God. And so I just want to tell you, that's my prayer for you, and recognize uh, that I include myself with you as someone who's a sinner in need of forgiveness and in need of grace and in need of healing from a lot of difficult things in our pasts. So when we start, I want to start with the idea that we should value every life, the, the totality of it. We should value every life. And this really is going to lead us into next week talking about racial diversity as well. We need to be careful not to just value lives that look like ours, not to just value lives that have the same traditions that we do, not just to value lives that seem big or important or strong or beneficial to us, but to value every life. And that's what leads Christians to value life in the womb. I also want to say as an aside, I recognize that some of you may have a different position on abortion and life in the womb, and I understand that. And and I want to say it's not my goal to like kick you out of the church if you have a different view than me. I, I do want to graciously appeal to you that you're wrong. I want to do that in a loving way, um, but don't want to like kick you out the door. Um, so, so I just want to establish why we believe what we believe, why we as a church support Hope Pregnancy Center and their ministry to encourage people to value the life of the unborn and why we value the life of the unborn. Uh, another way of saying it, uh, after we have the foundation of Genesis 127, that God made all people in the image of God, another way of saying it is with the um, wise words of Dr. Seuss. A person is a person no matter how small. Y'all ever heard that before? It's from Horton, here's a who. Great, great work of literature. A, a person is a person no matter how small. As Christians, we, we affirm that. We affirm that. We say we're not just going to value important people or strong people or wealthy people or people that share our race or people that share our background. We're going we're to value all people. And, and we believe that starts with life in the womb. Um, Genesis 9, 6 uh, reiterates this posture towards the image of God being valued in every human being, and it says it this way in Genesis 9, God is kind of starting over again, right, with a new world. So Noah, after the flood, is a bit like a new Adam, and God's laying down some new ground rules, and there's a lot of echoes in Genesis 9. If you read it and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you see echoes of the beginning stories. And in Genesis 9, 6, we see this, whoever sheds the blood of man By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So again, a reflection of this worldview that man is made in God's image, therefore we shouldn't shed blood, right? And what's difficult for some of us, we'll get to this later on, because we shouldn't kill, God says the state should kill those that kill because killing shouldn't be happening, right? And so that's kind of hard for some of us, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. I have a picture here of a baby in the womb. Uh, and one of the things that's been amazing over the last several years is on the subject of abortion, the younger generation has actually become more conservative. More and more people in the younger generation are becoming uh, pro-life because of science. In every other issue in society, our, gener- our younger generations are becoming more liberal, we would say. But on this issue, they're becoming more conservative because of just common sense and science. People just being able to see that baby in the womb saying, yeah, that, that's a person, you know? The more we can see it, 
the harder it is to say it's not a person. And that's kind of where we've been going as a society. I believe in Exodus, there's some ground rules laid in God's law in Exodus. Exodus 20 is where the Ten Commandments are found. And Exodus 20, you know, we have the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20.13 says, you shall not murder. Um, And then he goes on in Exodus 21 and talks about what happens when someone's injured or when someone's murdered and kind of lays down ground rules of, of don't, you know, don't go all vengeance on them, you know, only take an eye if there's an eye or only take a foot if there's a foot, you know, it's, it's really to restrain, it's not to encourage primitive tribal justice is how we hear it as modern people, but it's actually to restrain vengeance for the judges. And in one of these passages in Exodus 21, 22, we're told this about a pregnant woman. It says in Exodus 21, 22, if men fight and hit a pregnant woman and her child is born prematurely, but there is no serious injury, he'll surely be punished in accordance with what the woman's husband demands of him, and he'll pay what the court decides. Okay, so uh, there's an accident, baby comes prematurely, they'll settle it, right? They'll negotiate. There'll be some kind of payment for that, um, that chaos and disruption that came into their life. But then he goes on in verse 23, he says, but if there is serious injury, then you will give a life for a life. There's serious injury, then you will give a life for a life. An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. So all that language we're familiar with, um, but I think it's an important thing to point out there. Just the worldview in Exodus, they're considering the life in the womb as a life. I think that's important to, to lay out biblically. And then also Psalm 139, which is one of the most famous Psalms that talks about God knitting us together in our mother's womb in the secret parts there, that there's something scientifically happening that we can see and we know a whole lot more about the details, but it's still God at work doing something important. And we want to honor that and not, not mess with his artwork. So we value life even if it's small, even if it can't do much for us. Um, and that's why Christians uh, and uh, evangelical Christians at a majority level hold to a pro-life position. Again, I know not everybody agrees on this. What's, what's this look like in our own life? I, I want to give us some, some ways to apply this valuing of life of all sizes. First of all, first of all we're going to be a, a people that promote the message that God is a God who established life to image him, and so God values human life. And as we, as we say that message, proclaim that message, as we're a broadcasting center that, that tells the world about how God made us, we're also going to say that while we sinned and strayed from God's plan, God valued us so much that he came after us and gave his life for us. So God valued our lives in an ultimate sort of way. And so we're going to continue to promote that message. We call that preaching the gospel. That's the story of who God is and what Jesus has done for us. And so we're going to continue to beat that drumbeat. We believe that is pro-life, that we are valuing lives of all sizes by saying God values life. God values your life so much that he's come after you. He's pursued you at great cost to himself. And that's the gospel story. And we believe as we preach that message that people's hearts are actually changed. Paul says in Romans that the power of the gospel changes hearts. It transforms people. It turns people into people that actually now value life. Before we were selfish, not valuing life, trying to be our own God of our own universe. And now as we submit to the gospel, we begin to value life ourselves. I think the second thing that we're going to be about as a people is adoption, foster care, elder care, caring for minorities, 
and historically oppressed people. That's a way that we exhibit that we value life. No matter how big, how small, where it is, every life we value, every life. James is very clear that true religion is this, to care for the orphan and the widow and the oppressed. Christians do that not because it's convenient, not because it makes us richer or more comfortable, not because it makes uh, us feel better, but because God says this is the kind of God he is and this is the kind of person that we should be. We should value life the way that God values life. I think we should also promote laws that protect the unborn. Um, we're often told that there should be a separation of church and state, and I try to be very careful of not you know, beating the drumbeat for certain candidates or anything like that. Um, but I just want to kind of appeal to the younger generation for a minute because the younger generation uh, believes this idea I just kind of want to challenge you with that's absolutely not true. A lot of the older generation believes it too, but I, I hear it more and more with younger people. And that idea uh, is that um, law and laws of the state can be neutral. That's just not true. And I just want to challenge you on that. People say it without thinking about it because we're taught that in schools. So atheism is neutral, but believing in God is not neutral, or atheism can establish law and order, but a God cannot. I mean, we just, you just need to think about that. Our faith challenges us to apply what God says is true about the universe in every area of life. And to argue that is not to argue for a theocracy or something, right? I'm not arguing for some kind of uh, weird puritanical extreme that your college professor told you about, you know. But what I'm saying is that our our morality that we get from God and from the scriptures should work its way through how we vote, how we are members of the school board, how we live our lives in society, it does matter. You have to get your morality from somewhere. I mean, think about it this way. If you think we can just get morality from democracy, from just, we'll all just decide what's moral, well, that could lead to a holocaust, right? I mean, we've, we've seen that happen in history. So I, I would argue that Democracy is not a good way to settle on morality. Um, atheism is not neutral either. You know, there's nothing really neutral. Neutrality doesn't exist. And so I would argue that our faith should work its way through how we think and how we vote and what kind of laws we promote and what kind of society we try to build. Does that mean I think we should then also have laws that enforce and demand that everybody come, everyone become a Christian? That's not what I'm arguing for either. I'm just saying... We should have some level of freedom, but we should also have laws based on a moral universe that we believe God has created and designed. Finally, I, I think we need to just think about this again in the law category, and I'll now speak to the, I was just speaking to the younger, more liberal people. Now I'll speak to the older, more conservative people. We should promote laws that promote social justice. I know you cringe. I know that's a bad word if you're older, if you watch Fox News, um, but Biblically, social justice is a concept, okay? I will grant that that term gets twisted in all kinds of grotesque ways. But God cares about social justice. I mean, it's in the Bible. You've got to read your Old Testament. got to read your New Testament. God cares. We should have a society that's not rigged, right? We should have a society that's, that's fair. And so that's one of the ways that we value life is by promoting social justice, promoting a society that's fair, that cares for the least of these, that reduces oppression, that cares for those that are small, those that are outsiders. So we just need to always be evaluating our, our worldview and not quickly run to one camp or the other, but say, what, what does God say on this subject? What does God care about uh, on this issue? The next thing I want us to think about is that we should value life with the sword. 
Um, a, a lot of people already believe this because most of you are soldiers, right? Um, but if you're a soldier or a policeman, you, you believe to some degree that one of the ways that we protect the image of God and humanity is by sometimes having to take that life, right? Having to take the life of an oppressor or of uh, someone who is trying to hurt someone else. So we value life with the sword. Romans 13 talks about this real clearly. There's a lot of other passages that talk about this, but I think Romans 13 is the clearest. Um, it's interesting. Jesus says in Luke 22, right before he's taken to the cross, um, he says this, and then I'll go back to Romans 13. Jesus says, let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, backpack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Jesus is saying, it's going to get hairy. You're going to need a sword. Or to say it in modern language, you'd say, um, you're going to need a gun. Things are going to get rough. Things are going to get scary. So Jesus is by no means an extreme pacifist. Did Jesus lay down his power for others? Yes, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. But Romans 13 clearly establishes the power of the sword as a way of valuing life. Romans 13, uh, 3 says it this way, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad, okay? So governors, rulers, people in charge of the government are not a terror towards people that are good, but towards people that are bad. And he goes on, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So here Paul's saying that the power of the sword, the power to take life, has been given as a way to protect life. Taking life is often in extreme measures, not willy-nilly, right? But it's used as a way to save life. None of us wants to take life. Those of you that have had to take life, you still have nightmares about it. It's, it's, not, it's not a happy thing. But it is a power given to the state to protect life, to value life, to honor the image of God and humanity. He goes on in Romans 13, interestingly enough, because those of us that are pro-gun probably liked verse 4, and then he goes on and says, therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So he's saying, obey the rulers. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. So again, he challenges our extreme political views. Usually if you like guns, you don't like taxes. You know, he's just mixing up all our categories here and challenging us to consider our place in God's economy. So we value life with the sword sometimes. Um, and, and I honor those of you that, that do what is very difficult in order to protect life. I have a picture here of soldiers. We have a lot of soldiers here. Um, I think it'd be kind of hard for me to do ministry in Fort Hood, Texas, if I didn't believe this. This is a strong theological tradition uh, in Protestant Christianity. I will say again, you don't have to hold this position to be a member here. I, I want to lovingly persuade you, but you don't have to hold this position. There, there are uh, kind of two extremes theologically that would hold a more pacifistic view would be Catholic teaching and Mennonite teaching. And we have a different view of the scriptures than Catholics and Mennonites do. Again, if you're from a Catholic background or you're Mennonite, God bless you. I love you. I'm glad you're here, right? I want to graciously convince you from the scriptures, but I also want to acknowledge that there's a diversity of views throughout Christian history. This is sometimes referred to as just war theory, and Augustine wrote about this uh, thousands of years ago. So what does that look like? That looks like 
um, even though we're Christians and we believe Jesus laid down his life, we do still believe that it's okay to have soldiers. It's okay to have police and that that actually orders society, protects people, establishes justice. And that is a part of the ways that we actually, again, value life no matter how small. We, we value minorities. We value oppressed people by actually having people that are, that are willing to use force to protect those people. Where it really gets hairy for us now, and I think there's going to be more disagreement for us as a people, is self-defense. Uh, we believe, most, I think most people even in our community believe that that power of the state has been then shared with individual citizens. So, so the power of the sword is in a limited way shared with individual citizens. And again, Christians have a lot of different views on this. For me personally, um, I believe that if uh, someone... Well, let me say it this way. I don't believe that the power of the sword is given for the church to establish her goals, right? I think almost, I think everybody, almost everybody agrees with that, right? Maybe the crusaders didn't agree, but almost everybody agrees with that. The church is not to use force to convert people to Christ. And, and so just kind of where I am personally, um, again, I would say a lot of people disagree on this. I have no problem using force to protect my family and my home. And at the same time saying, yeah, I'm a minister of the gospel. I would never use force as a, as a preacher to establish God's word or to convert someone. You know, like that's, that's very easy for me to say both. It's like two different roles that I carry. I'm a husband and a father. And my job is protector. I've been deputized as a husband and a father to carry the power of the sword to a limited degree. It doesn't make me a policeman. It doesn't make me a soldier. But I have this kind of limited jurisdiction to protect my family, to protect my own. And so I have no problem flip-flopping back and forth. I know some people, again, more the Mennonite position, more the Catholic position that just says we're just always supposed to be peaceful no matter what. I'd encourage you to pray about it. I've got a ton of books up here to help you think through Christian worldview, help you think through how the Bible is, is knit together. What we call really systematic theology is taking all the parts of the Bible and putting them together. Uh, what happens, uh, my, my critique of Catholic and Mennonite theology would be they often just take one verse, say this one verse says that, so I'm going to live my life with that one verse. And I'm not going to work out you know, how this verse seems to, to fit together with these other verses. So I've got some books I would recommend up here that you can look at. Again, um, don't take them because they're mine, but you can look at them and write down the name and order one of them if you want. So as we think about the limits of vowing life with the sword and the the power of the sword being given to the state, which again, more people agree on and then less people agree on self-defense and how we use that you know, in our personal realm. One of the ways this just came up is, is last week we had to put up signs saying we're asking you not to openly carry weapons. It's a new law in Texas. Um, I think most of you heard about this, but now there's a new law in Texas where you can have a license and openly carry weapons. And so not because we're anti-gun or anything like that, we, we asked people to conceal because we thought it was distracting. So that's just kind of weird, right? <laughs> it's just kind of distracting. It's a preference issue. You can still conceal a weapon if you're a licensed weapon carrier, and that's fine, but we just thought it'd be kind of distracting if everybody had holsters on their hips in church, right? Um, but again, those are, those are judgment calls that, that everybody has to make uh, differently. The last thing I want us to see is how we value life by giving our life. This is the part that's really going to stretch us. Um, so, so if you come from kind of a I would say a hardline pacifist, uh, peace-oriented position. Um, you're kind of saying it's always my job to give my life no matter what in every situation. I would argue 
um, that we are to be prayerful about it and be led by the Holy Spirit, and that God does call us as followers of Jesus to be like Jesus and be willing to give our lives. I think that's absolutely true. Um, I just don't think we, you know, walk out the door and run and lay down in front of a car and say, I'm being like Jesus, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's to be strategic. Uh, it's something God's going to lead us to in the moment. I think one of the best examples of this is we just had the anniversary of the death of Jim Elliott and this Nate Saints. I can't remember all their names, but the missionaries uh, that famously died uh, years ago. They just had their anniversary this week. There are a lot of articles about them. These guys were missionaries in the Amazon jungle. They had guns, and they chose not to use them. So these weren't pacifists that said, missionaries should never have guns, and we should never protect ourselves, and you know, we're just going to lay down the lives of our children and ourselves willy-nilly and not even think about it. No, they had weapons. They had bullets. The safety was off. And they chose for the gospel to lay down their lives. And so I think that's a model for us of saying, of walking that line of saying, I don't believe violence is how you extend the kingdom of God. Maybe I would protect my family. Maybe God's going to call me someday to lay down my life for the sake of the gospel. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to have to lead you to to determine when you're going to do which one. Value life by giving our life. So Jesus told his disciples to have swords. Uh, I read that passage earlier from from Luke or mentioned that passage from Luke 22. What's interesting is right after that, Peter cuts off the guy's ear that comes to get Jesus to take him to the cross. Y'all remember that story? That story is then repeated uh, in Matthew 26 and in John 18. And so it's really interesting. Only in Luke 22 do we get the Jesus telling them to carry swords, right? Uh, In the other stories, though, and in the Luke story, all of them agree. Jesus said, no, I'm going to the cross. You know, don't cut any more ears off. He put the guy's ear back on. That was always my favorite story as a little kid. Jesus put his ear back on. That's so cool. Um, And so we see in that moment that tension, I think. Jesus says, disciples, you're going to need some swords. And then the next scene, he's using it, and Jesus is like, no, that's not how we're going to do this. That's not how we're going to do this. And so that's the built-in tension that we have as believers. I think a lot of you wish I could just give you a formula and a flow chart. Use gun here. Don't use gun here. I, I just don't think it's that, I don't think it's that simple. Um, in Luke 6.27, this is uh, the sermon, sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, a lot of people think it's kind of summaries of the same sermon. But he says in Luke 6.27, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Jesus goes on, um, really making it harder and harder. Verse 36, he says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So when God calls us to mercy, he doesn't demand mercy in every situation all the time because the New Testament teaches that um, grace is grace because it's undeserved because it's not demanded, right? Justice is our focus on our rights and what is okay. And then Jesus calls us to a step farther than that. So doing justice is not wrong. Doing justice is not wrong. Jesus calls us to something more. But again, if it's demanded, if you think you have to do mercy in order to be approved of by God, I mean, you can get all twisted up in your head. No, the Holy Spirit will lead you as you follow Jesus who gave his life for you the Holy Spirit will lead you often to give up your rights for others, to give up your convenience for others, to give up your resources for others, the way that God gave himself up for us. I think a little background is helpful. The 
Old Testament had established, and we just read it earlier at the beginning of the sermon in Exodus 21, it had established that an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth is justice. And really that was established again to slow down vengeance because if there was an injury at that time, people would say, okay, I'm going to go burn down your whole village and kill 50 people. And so justice was reining that in and saying it should be impartial and it should be equal. And that's where the eye for eye and tooth for tooth stuff comes from. So when Jesus is saying, you've heard that said, but now I'm saying this to you, he's not saying that was totally wrong. He's saying, I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you to be merciful merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. I'm going to push you to supernaturally extend grace, but I don't think he's condemning justice in saying that. Part of the problem, we know the stories of the gospels, the Pharisees were very legalistic and selfish, and they would take the law and use laws about justice as a way to get more for themselves. So the Pharisees were applying these judicial laws in personal ways in order to lay claim to their own selfish desires. And so that's, that's where there's the tension of we need to be challenged to be merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful. So I believe Jesus is clearly saying you, you should be willing to give up your own life. You should be willing to give to those that don't deserve it because that's how God treated us. The gospel is that God treated us with grace and forgiveness and favor when we deserved judgment and death. So again, I don't have a formula for you. I don't have a spreadsheet that says, use justice on this day and use mercy here and, you know, with arrows and everything. I believe you're going to have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to understand in which situations you're going to do which thing. There's a gospel principle there of showing mercy. Justice is not wrong, but Jesus calls us to follow him into mercy, into giving ourselves up the way that Jesus gave himself up. I have a picture here from the passion, grotesque picture from the passion movie of Jesus on the cross. Just to remind us that God's love for us came at great cost to himself. He was willing to die for us. That's our, again, our gospel story is that God valued life. He didn't just value life in a generic sense but he valued life in the sense of mercy, being willing to give us what we don't deserve, to give us more than we deserve. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when it comes to us thinking about Pro-Life Month, what, what can we do? First of all, again, I encourage you to pray. Um, we have a prayer guide online on our city, our membership site. You can download this PDF. It comes from the Chuck Colson Center online. They've just got a great guide that gives you more information scientifically about it, Uh, more information to understand kind of the pro-life movement and why some of us Christians are so weird about this and so passionate about it and why it's so important for us. I'd encourage you to research further, to look into it. I'd also encourage you to support Hope Pregnancy Center. It's a local ministry that we partner with. We had a, you know, the budget slides up earlier talking about the money we give towards local benevolence and a large portion of that goes to Hope Pregnancy Center. We send people to Hope Pregnancy Center. We give our time to Hope Pregnancy Center. What they do is they come alongside women that are struggling with this decision, instead of just yelling at them, saying, you're wrong, they come alongside them and help them. And they say, how can, how can we help you keep this child? Or how can we help you give this child up for adoption so that we can value this life no matter how small it is? So my prayer is that we would be a people that give our, our time, our prayers, our money, our, our effort to care for the least of these. The orphan, the widow, the life of the unborn, that we would be a people that value life here at Grace Bible Church. Let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll respond in communion together. God, we thank you that you love us. 
that you call us to yourself. We pray that you would use us to value life the way that you valued our life. We thank you that you were willing to give yourself for us. We thank you that you showed grace to us when we deserve judgment. I pray that we would be transformed by that gospel so that we would be listening to you and trusting you moment by moment, knowing when you're calling us to give, knowing when you're calling us uh, to ask for justice, knowing when you're calling us to give mercy as you've been merciful to us. We pray it's all in Jesus' name. Amen.